வணக்கம் வியூவர்ஸ் வினோ திஸ் இஸ் ஆக்சுவலி கொஞ்சம் இல்லை ரொம்பவே லாங் கேப் ஆஃப்டர் நைன்த் எபிசோட் பிகாஸ் மீ அண்ட் பரத் கார் லிட்டில் பிஸி வித் ஆர் அதர் ப்ரியாரிட்டிஸ் பட் திஸ் டைம் வி ஆர் பேக் வித் அன் அமேசிங் லாஸ்ட் எபிசோட் ஃபார் த சீசன் ஒன் தட் இஸ் த டென்த் எபிசோட் ஆஃப் சீசன் ஒன் தட் இஸ் த லாஸ்ட் எபிசோட் ஆஃப் சீசன் ஒன் ஒரு செம்ம கெஸ்ட் வந்திருக்காங்க இன்றைக்கி அவங்களோட நம்ம பேச போகிறோம் அண்ட் திஸ் இஸ் த ஃபர்ஸ்ட் டைம் வி ஆர் டூயிங் த ரெக்கார்டிங் லைவ் நாட் இன் ஜூம் ஸோ ப்ளீஸ் கேட்டுடு லெட் எஸ் நோ யர் ஃபீட்பேக் அண்ட் கமெண்ட்ஸ் வெல்கம் டு த செம்ம பாட்காஸ்ட் வித் ராமன் பரத் பரத் Sure. Thanks so much for joining us today, Leena. Leena is the owner of a business called The Family Dog and she is a canine behaviorist. Okay. Uh, in simple words, she trains dogs. Uh, she specializes in Indies or mongrels. If she's doing this today, the journey to getting here is very interesting and that's what we are here to understand. Welcome, Leena. Thanks so much for taking the time and joining Welcome, us. Welcome, Leena. It's a pleasure to have you as part of the summer podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. So maybe let me start with a question. Okay. Adelina. So the people whom I know, right, my friends all mm-hmm. that, usually they work in TCS, CTS, Infosys, Wipro. This is the maximum I know, okay? Okay. Uh, someone who works in a core company like a mechanical electrical company itself is a unique job. They have unique profession, I think so. You know, when you stretch for now, maybe a little bit of singing, dancing, art forms, all of that. But what made you come into this job? very unique profession of a pet trainer so i didn't start off as a dog trainer okay. and um, maybe 20 years back when you were thinking of doing a career at no point you could tell your parents you oh, i'm going to be a dog trainer and get away with that like they would say no like what are you talking about yeah. but as a child i was obviously uh, i used to love dogs and we have always had dogs in our family so somewhere down the line i just happened to um, come across a teacher who was teaching Uh, dog training courses and i just went in to just you know enlighten okay i, I, I just want to see what it's all about luckily it happened to be a course which was on dog aggression which is of course a very serious topic and uh, everything is that in india like yeah it's in india it's in bombay um this is with a teacher called sharin merchant she is one of india's first and only uh, lady dog trainer who is um, kci uh, which is a uk body certified um, dog behaviorist dog trainer and uh, lucky for me that when i went for this aggression course i met a bunch of let's say seven or eight people and uh, they were all doing it uh, because they were making a career out of it and that was a very um, big turning point for me because i i said oh you can make a career out of this so these are people who are earning good money they have a name for themselves and um, there's a whole huge market for it um and it was a realization and i said okay let's try it out um uh, and of course because i had started with aggression i of course in theory i could understand everything but how do you how do you uh, then um, actually put it into practice so upon teaching uh, speaking to my teacher she said okay there are other courses that you have to do before you do aggression so then we did a training course then we did a behavior course then i did um, there's an international certification you do um, so i am currently level 4 certified with a teacher called john rogerson um, so you internationally certify yourself and then of course years and years of practice this is my seventh year now of uh, doing it as a business wow uh, and yeah it's going well and lockdown has really helped me because a lot a lot of people have gone ahead and gone dog cotton dogs <laughs> that's amazing just to give a quick intro on lena lena comes from chennai 
spent her early years education in Chennai. Uh, she studied in Etheraj College in Chennai, uh, did biochemistry in undergraduation, yeah. and then went on to do her master's and PhD in the US in genetics. Also did her post-doctoral studies in Singapore. Mm. very deep into science <laughs> and to leave all of that and get into this thing is what uh, is the interesting journey that we want to cover. So tell us your early years, you know, your upbringing, where you grew up, born, brought up. You know, some so um, I'm born abroad, I'm born in the UK, uh, but very early on I came back to India because my dad wanted to be close to the family. But we happened to go to the middle of India to uh, a place called Katni, which is in Madhya Pradesh, now Chhattisgarh. And um, it's a very remote place. Um, the only school you go to is Kendriya Vidyalaya, uh, Hindi medium. Um, typical carefree, stress-free life because, you know, all that you do, children used to do then is to explore outside. It's all, all about nature and figuring out games on your own and stuff. So a very nice childhood, I would say. You know, none of this tech stuff or no stress per se. Um, and then uh, somewhere around uh, early... Um, education um, we moved to Chennai uh, because dad moved to Chennai and um, Chennai of course things change a bit compared to Katni everybody's speaking English so you pick up the language and you do that um, and at that time we had a, a, a German Shepherd dog so we always had her. my dad always had dogs and then he surprised us with a puppy and we had her um, she was a very happy dog in um, MP and then when she came to Chennai even her life changed because now you've moved on to a city. So it was something in, it's something interesting to watch and um, understand uh, about dogs um, also. Um, then as you said I did my um, college in Atharaj uh, College for Women. Um, I was very sure I wanted to go abroad but then you had this thing that you couldn't go abroad if you didn't do a certain number of years in India. Um, and I was also very sure that I didn't want to spend a lot of money, so I also wanted to get a full scholarship if I was to study abroad. Um, so we figured that if you were to do a PhD, master's PhD program, you're mostly guaranteed to get a scholarship. Um, so myself and a few friends, we applied for it. Um, I got into Ohio State. Uh, as you said, I specialize in molecular genetics. Um, tough few years of one, adjusting living by yourself, living in a foreign land. Um, making friends with people who are not Indians and then of course finish your masters and masters PhD is a continuous program when you get into your PhD part uh, there's a critical time in your PhD like your third year or something you have to give an exam basically you imagine a, a like a project and basically you have to prove to your uh, you know set of teachers that it's a viable project and they should fund it and uh, everybody said that once you pass that exam uh, it is as good as getting a PhD because now you're sure you'll be able to make it. So once we got through that, um, it takes a few more years to finish your PhD, finished it. Uh, somewhere in between I got married, uh, but my husband was based in India. Um, so the idea of doing postdoctoral after that, um, there was no option of actually staying back in the US because it's like either come back to India or come back somewhere closer. So we chose Singapore because, of course, in terms of research, they're quite advanced. Um, those days, they were also recruiting a lot of expats because their own Singaporean students um, were sent abroad to Australia, to US, to train. Uh, but while the setup was being set up by 
people who are already qualified. So a lot of expats went in, set up the Singaporean research market. And I worked there for about three years. My specialization was in breast cancer, breast cancer genetics. And um, on a trip back home uh, after three years, it was on a slightly bit on a whimsical, uh, this thing that I left my, quit my job saying that, you know, we had done a long distance marriage for a long time. And I was like, okay, it's about time. Um, my husband was not being able to move, so I said, okay, I'll come back. And I quit my job and then um, looked around, in, and so I, I was in Bombay. So looked okay. around in Bombay to see uh, if I could find something similar, like research-wise. Um, while I'm trained in what we call basic science, basic science means it's a science that your children will study in their textbooks. And so these are long-term foundation-based science. So the research is a different kind. Um, what we figured, and at the time I quit Singapore, um, was that commercial science or what we call clinical science was, is what was um, more uh, popular. So this mm. is science that you do which goes into drug companies and make a lot of money. And clinical science I find very boring because in terms of data, it is just the same data but multiple multiple patients. Yeah. It's not like basic science. Um, so I tried for Tata Institute and other places in Bombay, then realized, no, this is not, not what I want. Um, so I basically quit science at that point. I said, okay, don't have to be a doctor. I just chilled at home for a few few months. Before, of course, figuring that, of course, I cannot sit and do nothing because it's extremely boring. But that was your calling, right? That, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I was good at it, if you could say, right? Uh, what was your research topic mm -hmm. in PhD? PhD, uh, very at a cellular level, there is a organelle called the nucleolus, which is a tiny little thing in a nucleus of a cell. My uh, PhD was a paper on describing how that nucleolus splits into two when the cell divides and how does it make sure every piece of information is equally and correctly divided into the two. Um, Nothing to do with bombs, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's, it's a very critical piece in terms of cancer genetics and stuff, right? Because we know cancer is anything but abnormality. So mm. how do we keep it normal in the cells? And what was very interesting about my PhD was that it was done with an organism, uh, which in our common terms we call the fungus. So it's done with one of the subspecies of um, fungus. And mm, it was very visual. So my entire PhD was a lot of videos and stuff in which you could see how it was dividing. No. And how subparts of it was divided. It'd be fascinating to see mm. that. Yeah. Microscopically. Yeah, level. microscopically, <laughs> and they are all tagged with fluorescent proteins. So it's it, it was it Colorful. was yeah, and it was a lot of fun doing that PhD. When I went to Singapore in the beginning, it was fun, but at the end bit, when it when the government, the Singapore government, started putting pressure in that, whatever research you do, it has to be commercially viable. It has to bring in so much money. Value. Yeah. To the table. Yeah. Like we are funding and we want to Yeah, exactly. But in that, what tends to happen is that then you also start to force uh -huh. data, force research. Mm. And science doesn't work like that. Um, mm. You go into the lab from the right-hand side, uh, you'll get one result. You go from the left-hand side and you hit somebody on the way and your plate hits something, you'll get a different result. Um, so unless um, you have, you know, cross-check it and control it and everything, uh, when you have pressure of, no, we want it by this time and we want it within this much money, then 
it, it's not as much fun. So that was also one reason for quitting it. Um, so when you say, was it my calling? I'm very, yeah, I was very good at science. I was very, doing very well. Um, but was I really, really happy uh, with that particular research? Maybe not. So I didn't mind quitting. But of course, sitting at home, uh, it got extremely uh, boring. And um, what, what exactly happened like for you to kind of... So there's again a big, big, big thing in between, <laughs> between PhD, like between science and dogs. There okay. is, I did three years of um, production and advertising. So this is okay. when you got bored in Bombay, you just had to pick up something and you picked up media. Yeah, because my, my, my husband is in the film line, so it was easy to, you know, through him go to someone who could say, okay, fine, um, let's do advertising, you can do production. And in the olden days training is that even though you are um, with the production group or the production house, you uh, train everything. You'll do wardrobe also, you'll manage makeup also, you'll do... Um, assistant directorship also they really train you which is not these days it's not the same but mm. in those days it was which i'm talking about like seven eight years back and um, what was an eye-opening because now in an advertising line i was at ground zero like base yeah. level so you would get paid like so little so you're a phd trainee yes phd <laughs> trainee uh, and you're not even making maybe one percent of what you are making mm. so that is a very humbling experience by itself uh, and in terms of physical work, it was very hard mm -hmm. because they keep very... What would your typical day be like? Typical day would be if a shoot is going to happen, um, you are working about 10 days prior to shoot. Casting. Casting. Um, you are dealing with who's going to be the director. You're doing flight details for the director. We used to have international Menu, directors come in. Props. Locking the location, props and all that. Celebrities. They, yeah, celebrities. If it's celebrity, then you figure out their entourage and all of that. Um, wardrobe fitting is a big deal. Uh, then on the day of the shoot, uh, it could anyway start at 4 a.m. in the morning if it's a morning shoot and then you go on through the day, sometimes it's multiple days of shoot. It's very rigorous, very tiring, very, very tiring. Um, and post the whole thing, um, shoot, you also have post. So you have yeah, to sit on post. Post-production. Post production that is, is more demanding. Yeah. <laughs> you go to the edit room, you have to do audio, you have to do um, a lot of different works there. So. Uh, was it satisfying? Was it fun? Yeah, good fun. And then, of course, I started climbing the ladder there also. You're making a little bit more money, a little bit more money, and it's fun. But physically, I found it very exhausting. Mm. And if I was maybe 10, 15 years younger, I could have sustained it. Um, but I realized I couldn't. Uh, but I didn't quit it. It's while I was doing um, production and all of that, my time passed between one and ad and the other ad was to just interact with the stray dogs that were. You didn't have your own dogs there? No, at that time we didn't, I didn't have any dogs. Uh, mm -hmm. And I was just, an interaction with stray dogs is not feeding. I have never, I would never feed them. I'm like, there were other people who were feeding. My thing was just, okay, come, I'll pet you. Uh, I'll find some dogs who want to play, play mm -hmm. a little. So just makeshift ball or something, play with them and all that. And what I would notice in Bombay, and Bombay is very good in that way. Like every street has a caretaker. Somebody's feeding these dogs. So these dogs uh, will have their own, um, how do I say, interaction they'll have their own dynamics which is very interesting to watch and most streets has a pack so there'll be a set of given dogs um, that manage that street and then of course there are different levels of in that management um, but uh, what I would what what caught my attention was a new dog arriving uh, so in Bombay you have these things where dogs do get picked up by the municipality, they get sterilized and they are supposed to be dropped in the exact same place. Mm -hmm. But of course this Sometimes location gets mixed up. Yeah. So you will always see these new dogs arrive. 
when the new dogs arrive the dynamics between the old gang and this newcomer it be very very interesting based on who the newcomer is if the newcomer is a confident male dog then we are in more trouble if it's a submissive male dog or a submissive female dog then they fit in easily um and of course food was the primary thing uh, that could make or break the relationship if the new dog waited for its food or pretended that it's not competing then it would be accepted easily things like that you know so what i realize now is that because of my training in my phd which is about we are and, and and the topic that i was doing my phd on we are trained to observe and observe and observe, okay what's happening what's happening and then we ask why is it happening and then we think oh maybe there are five reasons and then we kind of say okay these three don't make sense these two are the most probable and then, and it was the same thing that i was doing in my head yeah but why did he didn't get bitten but why did that one get bitten and then why that this one could settle but that one couldn't settle um and how a feeder could influence that interaction oh the feeder did this and this dog got accepted so that is the reason when i started uh, googling uh, saying figuring out is there somebody teaching a dog training or a dog anything related to dog course and i remember very carefully the day i looked up and i found a course uh, on dog training which was happening in lonavla it was a 21 day course um the course started on the 4th of january and i happened to come across this on the 6th of january and i'm like oh my god i missed it it was a once a year international course um done by a uk um trainer world uh, renowned trainer and he would come and people from all around the world come and do it in india and go um in lonavala in lonavala nice and that was under this bombay trainer and then i wrote to her saying that sorry i missed it but do you do any other courses or when is the next course and that's when she said she was going to do this aggression course her new course was on aggression uh, and she said uh, i don't allow newcomers to join the aggression course because it's the third course third you do you mm-hmm. first do you have to go level by yeah level. you do training then you do behavior then you do aggression course and i'm like uh, but don't worry i'm a phd i'll understand it won't be a big deal mm-hmm. i kind of bullied her into letting me do the course and i think in a way it was good that i did the aggression course first. because that kind of like set me up uh, uh my interest plus i could you know i i realized that i can do it plus i met the right set, set of people who are very serious about it as a career they were not doing so the course is done by many different people sometimes it's just wannabes sometimes it's by people who own a dog and don't want to understand their dog better but they're not looking to do it as a career and some are like who pursue it seriously uh so that i think set me up correctly Um, you didn't do the course with the intention of having a no, career around no. it. No, my my intention was to do the course and under, come back and understand my desi dogs as to what was happening on my street. Mm-hmm. Um, and over a few months, of course, they became my favorites. I they had names. Now now I was feeding. So and it's an interesting thing uh, when you deal with street dogs, you also uh, interact with a separate group of people who are the rescuers. Um, and rescuers have the best intentions in mind. They love dogs. It comes naturally to them. but sometimes they also don't understand dogs very well and sometimes um, to them dogs are are more important let's say than the humans right and i came from the perspective no i mean we are living in this society the dogs have to get along with the humans so i came from a slightly different perspective no so the idea was oh let me understand what's going on speak to the rescuers maybe about it and then we can come to a mid ground where yeah the dogs can be fed but then at the same time the dogs will not sit and chase somebody you know that was my intention but then when i saw these people doing it as a career um and i also realized i'm good at it um so 
I know you have a very interesting experience uh, of how you got your first dog, right? Yeah. So you just tell everybody how, how you ha got your first dog. So um, it's, it's the same group of dogs, um, and uh, there's which a, basically lived around your house. Yeah, it's just across the street, um, and um, the the alpha of that. So the, usually there's an alpha male and there's an alpha female, and between the alpha male and female one is higher than the other. It could be the female or it could be the male. So in, in a case, pack, there's always an alpha male and there's an alpha female. Oh uh, Yeah, dog packs always have hierarchy. So they'll have an alpha, they'll have a beta, and they'll have the lowest, the omega. Um, and in, in, there's always a male alpha and a male female alpha. And in between them, it could be anyone who could be the actual alpha. Also, these positions change over time, health and age and things like that. Um, in, in in the wild, um, and this is one info I like to give, in the wild, it's only the alpha male and the alpha female who mate with each other. Because only the best should propagate. Mm -hmm. um, and when the alpha female uh, goes on heat, like is getting prepared to have babies, she causes enough stress mm -hmm. in all the other females that all the other females cannot have babies. This is how the population is controlled in the wild. Wow. So anyway, among the, the alpha male... Um, and he, his name happened to be uh, Ruby, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. um, I used to find him very... He this was, a, was in Bombay. Yeah, yeah, it's in Bombay. Mm -hmm. And he was a bit of a bully, manipulative, always figuring out how to get food from people. He'll have different settings. He'll be like, 6 o'clock, this auntie comes to biscuit. 8 o'clock, it's the autowala with tangri kebab. 9 o'clock is this. We were the last bit at the end of the day. We used to have a, a dog food bag in our car. And when we would come back from work, we'd just give him a scoop of dog food he'll eat um, he will then drop us to the lift of our uh, house on the ground floor and then we'll take the lift and we'll go home uh, to the third floor and that's it's been going on for a while uh, one day my husband gave, did the same thing and the lift wasn't working so he took the stairs and he came home and um, he just come in I'm just gonna serve dinner or something and uh, 10 minutes later you hear this knocking sound on the door like somebody is knocked on why aren't they ringing the bell okay so you open the door <laughs> it's this dog it's this dog Ruby, Ruby. Yeah. he looks at you saying oh hello oh now I know where you live uh, because I followed you uh, three floors up oh not bad and goes straight in to the other opposite end of the room where there's a ledge he goes on top of him and goes to sleep mm. This walks in? Walks in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell? Okay, fine, whatever. I'm like, okay, take care. Then wakes up in 7 in the morning saying, please let me out. Hmm. Second night, we go, it was Eid and I remember very well, we went to Bindi Bazaar um, to have some good food and stuff. And our neighbors frantically called saying, are you okay? Is everything okay in your house? I'm like, oh, what, what happened? No, there are four dogs outside your house. <laughs> <laughs> so he has now gone called his other team members and all four have come and said, this place, now we have fixed it for our sleeping <laughs> arrangements. You can come in the night, go in the morning. Uh, so it continued for a while. So when you came back, opened the door, all four went No, no, didn't allow. I said, only you can come in if you want to, but they were not there that night. Then the next night he came, I said, okay, sleep. Then he'll continue this. Ratko, he'll come and morning he'll go back. Uh, and of course, which meant he was dirty, he had ticks and this. I said, you can't do either. You sit inside or you sit outside. Um, but I quickly realized you can't take an adult dog from the street and say, okay, come live in the mm -hmm. house. Like, of course you can. It's different for different people. Mm -hmm. Because he was the alpha and because he had settings with the outside world, he didn't want to give it up, right? Mm -hmm. He is a street dog at the end of the day. So it took me about six months to make him a house dog. And what we did was uh, for a week, he would be one hour inside. 23 hours outside. The next week was 2 hours inside and 22 
करते करते It took me about six months to make him a. Approximately, how old was he when? He was about, about three years old. Wow. Yeah, he was an adult dog, and I and and now we had a different issue because now you had removed the alpha from the pack downstairs, um, so you had to make you had to stabilize that pack also. Mm-hmm. And I find that I find that I'm the reason I'm also good with desi dogs, indie dogs, is because my most of my learning has come from my street dogs. Hands on. Yeah, mm. it's a very hands on. Um, so we, then we figure how to stabilize the pack downstairs. Um, how to, um, then one or two new dogs got added. How to fit them in. Uh, my second dog is also from downstairs, and second dog when he Same came, pack? In, mm. he wasn't there in the beginning. When he came back in. Mm, I I introduced him to the pack, the existing pack, and introduced to my dog Ruby as well, and because he, that was their first introduction, he accepted that pack. But any new dog thereafter, he wouldn't allow it to come because this new dog, the second mm. dog, his Alaska. name is Alaska. Mm. He's an Omega, mm. uh, nervous Omega. So his job was like, if someone else comes, then I'll get pushed out, mm. right? So he will just bite. He'll just rip the new dog. Omega is in the bottom of the pyramid. Bottom one, yeah. Okay. Technically, shouldn't have the guts to do any of that. But because he, I introduced him to this gang. He's like, okay, hmm. I belong to this family, and now anybody new comes, I will not allow it. Um, and I had actually had to forcibly remove him from that because he was doing a lot of damage to other dogs. Uh, so that's how both the dogs have come in. Amazing. Today. That's yeah. a very interesting. <laughs> so uh, maybe let me take a question in a little different direction. So sure. all this happened after your training. Mm. um or before your training i would say while, while while it was going one course was done one course is pending okay okay yeah so i would like to understand more about uh, what the training exactly how it is done actually like uh, where you have dogs there and you train along with them and so on or it is only theory and then you have to go out and practice and all that so uh, in the 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 aggression course as i said that was completely theory based okay. right they do bring in a few case studies okay. uh, but all that you're doing is observation because you can't get risk getting bitten and stuff like that you observe and you are allowed to give an advice based okay. on what you think should be done um so it's not very hands on that way when the training course happens um in the beginning uh, the training course is um is a lot of theory Uh, and there's a lot of um, myth bust but in the end of the training session there are two parts with the second part uh, they bring in dogs and training um they have very basic things uh, how to walk a dog um how to teach a sit how to teach a down how to teach a paw they are very basic but in while learning that um, the principal uh, theory point that you understand and put into practice is how do you communicate to a dog what you want okay it's just that right and you strengthen that strength that strength then you are sent out to do hmm. uh, practice then you are supposed to do one year of training before you come back for the behavior course okay um i happen to fast track and say no i'll also do the behavior course and then i'll start because i've done aggression i'll do behavior and um, sorry i did aggression then i did behavior now i i had all the theory Mm. but i had no clue how to apply it okay. so i had to do training as fast as i could because then i can apply it but even while training basics um it's difficult to uh, understand what exactly you're doing um so then you uh, some allowed to assist some senior trainers and that helped quite a bit um and 
as I said, as and when you do more and more and more cases, and every time each dog is unique. They might be from the same house, they might be from the same owner, but they'll be unique. I, I want to just pause that. So, you know, Ram asked about how the theoretical part is. You learn about, you, you talked about how you're doing, you know, understanding dog, their behavior and psychology and various things. But pra practical is another ball game, right? Yes, mm -hmm. yes. You learn all this in theory. How was your first experience with your hands-on session that you had? So, the first hands-on session, thankfully, is in the uh, teacher's house. house. In mm -hmm. the and it's uh, they are dogs that are somebody's pet, and mostly they're slightly trained, right? So it's not very difficult. They would give you a slightly um, difficult dog, so they will give you a dog that, let's say, doesn't walk well on a leash, or they'll give you a dog that knows everything else but doesn't want to sit. So they give you small challenges, and in order to build confidence, in the beginning, you're allowed to train with food. So because you're using food as a reward, it's easier to get dogs to do something. Uh, then they'll switch it in between saying, okay, now you're not allowed food. Now do the same thing. And and then they'll challenge you with a new thing. So It's the same like giving a chocolate to a kid and convincing her. Yes, exactly. exactly. It's like making a child eat their dinner in front of iPad and then they say, sorry, no, no iPad and see, let me see if you can feed the child. It. It's yeah. the kid will starve. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, what my teacher always would say is that um, you can give a lot of theoretical advice to pet owners okay at the end the pet owner is going to say here take my dog show me <laughs> if you can't show then you're not a good trainer um, so we would keep that in the back of mind and of course a lot of failures a lot of times like I couldn't make my own dog Alaska do a sit till I asked my other trainer friends to come home and show me and they would try and try and then what I started realizing is that they're facing the same problem because the personality of the dog is so I have the Alaska is a hound hounds do not like to sit because they're very bony so it hurts they don't want to sit idly they'll go on a, in, a, in a lying down position directly they don't want to sit but let's say I want him to sit so they're also like oh this is not working okay so let's try this let's try that let's so that is something you can learn only when you're observing another trainer like okay this mm. troubleshooting mm. is what we call so I did a lot of this thing where you know you're assisting another trainer um Amazing. Yeah. yeah and i very quickly because i was already certified for aggression also started getting aggression uh, cases which is a bit scary so that also i started so, taking so what's an aggression case for example there's a pit bull is biting all the people around come and so the first thing, see, see, I said aggression, you said pit bull, right? Uh, no, I never got a pit bull. In the first year, I think uh, the first case I went was a beagle. Beagle? Yeah, a small, cute looking beagle. At no other time gives you any trouble, no problem. You play with him, uh, you, you interact with him, you pet him, you feed him, no problem. He has something in his mouth. You just say, give it to me, he'll come and bite you. You just have to say it, give it to me and he'll come and bite you. So, um... Now you, you, then you play the, all the theory in your mind and we'll go back, look at our notes and everything. And like, oh, this is what we call possessive aggression. You know, fancy little word. Uh, but if you're a good trainer, um, what you do is that you have to uh, be very good at asking the right questions for which you, the owners will give you the right answers. If you directly ask the owner, like, I think you're responsible for the aggression. Have you done this? 
exactly like have you done this have you snatched the toy from his mouth when he was a baby uh, they might say oh, no we never did this or this aggression just started few months back so part of the job is also to ask the right question such a way that the owner will give you the right answer you say what will happen can you show me uh, can you take that toy out of the mouth and they'll say sorry sir we can't do this he always bites amazing mm-hmm. so there's a lot of stereotypes right like mm-hmm. you said when you said aggression i get pitbull in my mind and when you say like you know temperamental dogs you say pomeranians mm-hmm. or something there's a lot of stereotypes mm-hmm. that people associate with dogs mm-hmm. you say stray dogs people say that oh they all chase you all the time in mm-hmm. the nights mm-hmm. are these valid you know this is there some reason why people associate these behavior with certain breeds or um, is that all so i have a uh, i have a very um, standard uh, statement that i tell people is that uh, things that you do not understand if you don't understand uh, you are scared of it and from there is where all the stereotypes or the misunderstanding happens um, have you kept a pitbull have you dealt with a pitbull have you understood the breed uh, and then you think a pitbull is aggressive no most probably a person who's saying a pitbull is aggressive has just learned it from social media something mm-hmm. or something somewhere uh, somewhere somewhere some wouldn't... news article where a pitbull ate a child or yeah. something yeah that's uh, it you yeah, think that pitbulls yeah, exactly. are exactly exactly um, are certain breeds more prone to certain kind of problems yes uh, people what they don't understand is that dogs uh, are not natural uh, animals right they have not naturally come out of uh, the environment like they are not like any other wild animals that we have dogs were selectively chosen to do certain jobs for human over the over mm-hmm. the time right over the period of time um, and each dog was selected for a certain feature so we have artificially made dogs right we have there was a wolf uh, some wolf got along with certain human civilization for certain um, positive traits um, they were most likely um, helping those early humans a safeguard livestock um, you could give your um, uh, food that was left off to them they would finish it off so that other predators wouldn't come to you um, some was for companionship some was for farming and from there you've selected and then we have had a huge artificial selection of breeding dogs into these multiple different breed types uh, which are meant to do certain jobs right uh, and i would let's say take the same example of the pitbull the pitbull was bred for sport you have, mm. you have bred it so that it can fight another dog okay okay so does that mean a pitbull is a little more predisposed to being aggressive to other dogs yes right does it mean i cannot change it no i can i can if i if i early on work on the dog i can change that unless it's genetic um and this is where i i feel i have a slightly upper hand because i'm from a genetic background explaining these basic concepts to owner um it comes handy um do you, uh, when they come and ask me okay uh, what kind of breed should i keep uh, i always ask them why do you what, what, why do you need the dog okay uh, people when they come for aesthetic reason when they come and ask um that's absolutely the wrong reason to keep a dog like if if your job is if you think you want aesthetic reason i can make any dog look good like it has to match with my handbag type people kind of yeah. thing or should look in a certain way hair should be like but if you tell me you want to keep a let's say a german shepherd but you live in new york you have a one room apartment 
would I recommend you a German Shepherd? No. Uh, do you uh, do you live on a farm and you need a, a a guard dog? Yeah. Okay. Come on, take a German Shepherd. So people, first thing they have to understand that breeds have a purpose. historic purpose of why they were bred. You have to always keep that in the back of your mind because when the trainer comes in, when I come in and somebody who's trained the way we are trained, we always train based on the breed. So uh, a beagle, and I'll give you a beagle example. It's a very nice example. Beagle were bred to, um, they're hunting dogs. Uh, they would, uh, they're always in a pack of 50. 50? Yes, mm. 50. The hunters are on their horses or they're walking and they have these big rifles. Um, before the hunting starts, the beagles are let out. Oh. And all these 50 beagles will go in and they'll corner the prey. Okay. They'll corner the prey. And once they corner the prey, they reach that point, they all start howling. And you'll hear beagles have a big howl, howling kind mm-hmm. of a bark. They'll all start howling. And all that you'll see is their tails going like that. The tip of the tail is white and you see that. The, then the um, hunter knows, oh, it's there. It's cornered. Then the hunter shoots. Okay. So when you say, I'm going to get a beagle and, I'm, and you're calling me as a trainer, the first thing I know that the dog will need is a solid bond with the owner mm. because this dog was never meant to be with the owner this dog is meant to be fi- with 50 other beagles mm. so their intention is to make doggy friends they don't want to make human friends because genetically they are not predisposed to it and the second thing is they were never demanded to come back they were always sent out to catch the prey right so you get me a beagle who is not trained correctly you do you call them he'll not come They'll run away. Their recall is very, very, very poor because they're like, I'm never meant to come back. I'll not come. So when I come as a trainer and I know you have a beagle, the first thing I'll start is, okay, we have to start recall. So each dog has this kind of, uh, yeah, of uh, this thing genetically imbibed into it. Yes. yes. Wow. So companion dogs, I would say, okay, get a, get a golden retriever, get a Labrador retriever. Very good. Meant for companionship. You see so much work they are done for the blinds. Uh, they are guide dogs. Uh, you don't see a retriever being a, a, a police dog or something. They are gentle, nice, very good with children. Um, very soft mouth. Why? Because when they were historically bred, they are historically bred, again, huh, retrieving dogs. Not hunting dogs this time, but retrieving dogs. The hunter would shoot something. The the uh, the dog is meant to leap into the water, pick the uh, pick whatever they've been shot, and bring it back. But while bringing back, they cannot damage it because that's going to be sold mm-hmm. in the market. So they have a very soft mouth. Um, they use they will be starved before the work starts, and then they will be rewarded with food after the work ends. That's why retrievers, uh, both Labradors and Golden Retrievers, are genetically hungry all the time. You will always hear, oh, and they're always hungry. People tend to overfeed them and yeah, make them yeah, fat. Fat. Mm-hmm. But see, if I told you. They're genetically wired to always look as if they're hungry. Don't feed them extra. Then you'll have an understanding, right? Uh, You'll also be more willing to have that kind of a dog uh, interact with your small child and everything. Because uh, the the probability that this dog will bite is less. But because we tend to be humans and we don't tend to treat dogs like dogs, we make mistakes where there are many of my aggressive clients that are also... Uh, retrievers so I meet golden retrievers that are super aggressive so this is where I said because I say aggression it doesn't have to be a pit bull it could be any dog so many times it is really the circumstances and the 
owners who have them, who put them in a certain situation is what really drives the behavior of a dog. Really. Yeah. And just like children, um, let's say, uh, I'll give an example of my own daughter. When she came, came home and the first time she heard a pressure cooker whistle, she got petrified and she mm. started crying. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, yeah. 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 Till kind of very allergic to crackers. Right. Right. Balloon right. bursting, she's allergic. Oh. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, if as a, and I think it has helped me to be a better parent because I've also uh, I'm I'm training myself as a good trainer, dog trainer. Is that because I don't want her to be scared, and because we have something called a noise desensitization program that we follow. Every time the pressure cooker whistle will is going to come, I'll tell my maid. You tell me. Two seconds before you tell me, I'll just put my hands on her ear where she can hear the whistle, but now it's not that loud. Mm. Intensity is right. Yeah. Slowly. And over the time, she got over it. Mm. Correct? So, there are certain set of things that one needs to do with their dogs also when they just are born. And we uh, call it under an umbrella term called socialization. So, if you don't socialize your dog correctly till the age of fifth month, five months, uh, then you have certain set of behavior issues. That's one way of introducing problem. The second set of introduction of problem is because basically the human and the dog are speaking two different language. Mm -hmm. They're just absolutely on two different pages. And in that miscommunication, uh, the dog is, the human is saying something, the dog is understanding something else. So I'll just give you a simple example. Human wants to play fetch, mm -hmm. throws a ball, dog, ah, I'm playing, goes, picks up the ball, comes back, comes back running to you. Saying, ah, you played with me. But instead of you interacting with your dog at that point, you instantly snatch the ball from its mouth. And then you ask for the dog to sit. And then you throw the next time. The dog does it two or three times. Then the third time he says, I am not going to play with you. You keep taking my ball. He comes back halfway and he sits. He doesn't come back to you completely. Mm -hmm. He says, you get a little pissed off. You walk up to him and you snatch the ball. It's okay, I'm not going to play with you. Okay. Uh, typical way of introducing... Um, a fetch failure where the dog refuses to play with your fetch. I come in as a trainer within five seconds. We play, start playing fetch and everything is fixed. And the owner is like, how is it possible? I said, oh, well, you don't like to share, right? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, you keep snatching his ball. Mm -hmm. And you're telling him that it's your ball. And you don't want to share. So the dog says he doesn't want to share. And it's a light bulb moment, right? At that point, saying that just because he bought the ball doesn't mean you snatch it out from his mouth. He brings the ball, praise him, he's bought your ball. He does, he's done such a great job. And then at some point you take the ball and throw it. So, you know, it's just these small, small things. But this is a typical, this is the simplest way to introduce uh, what we call, let's say, resource guarding, where the dog is saying, this is my ball, I will not share. And then the human gets pissed off, he pushes, dog pushes back. Then the human gets more pushy. And then you typically, from where the dog is just giving you a little bit of warning, a little growl and a little snap saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. We also have a huge ego issue that comes in. And the dog says, you don't listen to me when I tell you something, I'm going to bite you. And when the dog bites you, you back off. Because you don't, of course you don't want to be bitten. Like the dog says, aha, I know what works now. From here on, I'm going to bite. Mm. And that's it. You've introduced aggression in your dog. So there's a second set of Amazing. So much of subtlety in the, yes. this thing. And finally, there is another way that we, uh, unfortunately, behavior issues get introduced is trauma. Um, it is a huge um, topic as well as it's a huge factor in causing behavior issue. Where the dog at some point of its life faces a trauma, it could be an accident, it could be as simple as a 
fever or something which causes him to go to the doctor multiple times multiple times multiple times and then he he, he the outcome of it the end result is a bad experience and the dog in order to cope up with that bad experience then shows a particular behavior and those i find are the most difficult to um, solve because trauma is something similar to imprinting right it gets imprinted part of trauma can also be genetic uh, it the the uh, dog faces trauma while it's in the mother's womb a dog faces trauma while it's born and while it's seeing its siblings um like you said uh, people think chasing. people think why do dogs chase uh it's because when the mother has a litter and it's by the side of the road the mother wants to keep her puppy safe uh, she finds um, she has learned over time that cars kill her pups at that point maybe one puppy has been killed by a car she's safeguarding her puppies by chasing the cars away but the remaining puppies see the mother and learn that behavior mm-hmm. um so everything has a reason behind it Amazing. and as i said come bringing it back to the first statement that i said that what humans don't understand is what causes them fear um so i like to while it's simple training i'm training the dog but i also like to then impart a lot of this education to people because i think it helps it will help you in your second dog it will help you when you're know, talking to your other friends who are trying to get a dog yeah but uh, one thing is yeah you know all this because you are a trainer and uh, at least barada has a pet in his home so he knows but as a stranger when i see dogs right in the streets if they start chasing we all get into a mindset like this stray dogs are always creating a problem and yeah. that right yeah. so how to change that as a person like what should i do as a person because not everyone can right. uh, get a dog right. in their home to right. understand all right. this right so what uh, some some random person has to do to understand these things better so that they deal uh, things better in the street when it comes to stray yeah. dogs so, so if you're talking about stray dogs specifically of yeah. course uh, there are people who also get attacked by or get yeah you know yeah we jump on about like, that uh, pet dog friends who have got bitten yeah, by the dogs yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. Yeah, uh, so it can be happen with pet dogs as well but if we, we want to specifically talk to stray dogs um, we have to understand the stray dogs are unique especially in india they're very unique because uh, these are dogs um, that are untouched by humans these are not dogs these are dogs um, maybe not the city ones but the village ones are your original Mm. native dogs of india mm. uh, these are these are not artificially selected so these are similar to your aboriginal dogs um and they have somehow managed to fit into our society then these dogs that have come into the city they have adjusted to our city life and they have figured where to get their food um, many are scavengers they scavenge for food and they find make these small small areas as their home so of course by nature they are territorial mm. um and that's the single point that if understanding of that single point that make will make your life easier to understand the dogs are territorial uh, when you go running or when a pet owner takes their pet dogs into the street for a walk essentially they are going into somebody else's house mm-hmm. you know i'm coming to your house and i don't say hello i don't say hi i don't knock the door i straight away open your door get into your house go into your bathroom open your bathroom use your toilet don't flush it and get out mm-hmm. and expect no repercussion Mm-hmm. correct that is our expectation uh, run through these dogs houses and not have any repercussion um so all that a street dog is doing in the beginning is bark no if there were new pack and yeah. if this was the first time experience that the dog is having all that they'll do is bark because uh, this term uh, that they are as scared of us as we are of them is true for most animals is true for dogs as well uh when they bark they're essentially just communicating mm. 
okay and they're telling you sorry this doesn't work for us we tend to ignore it right and they said what do you mean Mm. This is my house, my street. I'll walk. I'll do whatever I want. We tend to ignore it. Uh, if you're not scared of dogs, you're going to ignore it mm. uh, much quicker. And you repeat it, repeat it, repeat till a dog says, I'm not having this and you've come too close. Maybe you ran past it when it was sleeping and it turns around and bites you. Now, when it turns around and bites you and now you have either gotten angry or you've gotten scared, what we tend to do is to use aggression. Shout, uh, we pick up a stick yeah. or we pick up a Storm. stone or we start shouting and three, four people gather up and all that. And all that you're saying is now I'm going to use aggression. Now we are not giving the stray dog any other opportunity to, but to use aggression in return, right? Because mm. there's no other way he can win. Either he completely runs off from there, but this is home. What do I do? So what I try to explain to people is if you're shit scared, okay, uh, and you, you will panic, there's no way... I can give you advice because no matter what I will say, at the core of it, you are a scared person and you're scared of dogs. And that might be because you have trauma, you've been bitten in your childhood or your parent has throughout your childhood told you dogs are very scary things. I'm not, at this kind of situation, I'm not, not going to give you gyan and expect you to change your behavior. I always tell you, let's find a method to avoid the dog. Mm. It's the simplest thing to say. Um, maybe don't get down at a particular point or if you know that dog sits, comes out at this particular point don't go it's a little difficult but i will tell you to work or go with somebody who's not scared okay. uh, because dogs tend to understand through body language who is scared and who's not scared okay. and anybody that they can make more scared intimidate they will intimidate because it just comes naturally to them so if somebody a dog comes to scare you and if you were to just then flare up and say hey what you're doing mm. then he'll back off because ultimately, as I said, they're also scared of you. Mm. So if it's a person who is not scared of dogs, but is worried because maybe when he's gone in the past, he's been chased or something, mm. then we have something which we teach children as well. We call it the tree pose, okay. where you just stand still like a tree and you allow the dog to bark. Um, you keep an eye on it so that you don't get snapped at. But the idea is that the dog is barking at you warning don't come here don't come this side or don't do what you're doing currently all that you're gonna say is like okay mm. and then he takes a pause and you say okay i'm gonna step off and you move away from the dog because mm. all that the dog is saying is move away so yeah. as soon as you move away the dog says okay you understood what i want to say i don't have to do this and with two three times when a stray dog understands ah you are that person who understands me okay i don't have to warn you anymore and it stops um it's easier said than done because people don't, unless I take a person and I say, come on, let's do it and I'll show it to you. Mm -hmm. They don't tend to believe me what I'm saying. Um, so we try to work with children more because the idea is that if I can convince 50 kids in my society, they'll um, convince, they'll convince the rest that, and the parents will see by example. Yeah. Oh, okay, fine. They are, they are safe means we are safe kind mm -hmm. of a thing. Doesn't mean accidents cannot happen. They can still happen because somebody does something stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, then, then it comes to trying to explain to people why the dog did a certain things. A, a dog even biting, even biting is a mode of communication. It mm. is not aggression. Um, it's the word aggression means that the dog has an intent to kill you. Mm. When a dog snaps at you because you went to um, kickstart your scooter, you didn't see the dog and the dog is underneath sleeping. That's just a warning. That's just a communication. That's not aggression. One area which I would definitely like you to shed some light on is, you know, most of the people in India live in apartments mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of people would like to get dogs. But 
some associations or you know some communities allow yeah. and some you know they put it in their bylaws that dogs are not allowed uh, number one is this legal uh, just uh, you know enlighten people living in apartments and wish to have a dog about some basic fundamental rules that they have which you know the government supports and the court uh, Yeah, so these are the blue ways basically of each of these societies. They, as you said, they sometimes bring out these bylaws, right? Resident um, welfare yeah, associations. Associations. They are they bring in these bylaws saying um, you can't rent a house to a pet owner. Mm. Um, uh, if you have a pet, the pet cannot use the lift. Mm. If you have a pet, the pet cannot use the uh, park um, park area or cannot walk here. Cannot walk there. Um, by the constitution, uh, it's illegal. it's not allowed the 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 society is not allowed to make these laws so they, they can be taken to task if they lay yes, out yes they can be taken to court and oh, the I simplest see. thing is that um there is uh, the animal welfare board of india awbi they publish a guideline um every few years they uh, you know um, updated but the current bylaw bylaw says that none of this holds good in uh, court will not hold good in court um where we get stuck is that if you're not an owner and you're a tenant of course an owner say, can say no i will not rent to you that you cannot bypass that's the prejudice yeah, yeah. Uh, and that they will not say i'll not give it to you because you have a dog right so you cannot bypass that but if you're an owner or if somebody has rented your house then the society cannot stop you from either using the lift or the stairs or the parking uh, some people say Uh, you know you can walk here you cannot walk there what they can do is come into an understanding the mm-hmm. bigger societies who let's say five five lifts they can say okay these three lifts you are allowed those two lifts you are not allowed uh, that's okay they can have timing for parks mm-hmm. you know they can have uh, they can have rules for cleanliness so yes your dog is allowed to pee and poop here but if you don't clean up then i can fine you for uh, dirtying the premise not mm-hmm. because your dog is pooping so things like that exist um and uh, i'm very aware of many people getting intimidated by these societies they do a lot of things and what happens is people tend to gang up so you feel a bit lost uh, but on a legal side you are on the right and um, there are something called animal welfare officers each of these cities and states have it you can go online and find out who the awo officer is of your area get in touch with that person that person will then draft a letter send it to the society and also call up and speak to the secretary or the chairman and explain the rules and say what you're doing is not right uh, if you do this this is the notice that we have sent you amazing and then the pet owner can take it from there but i also have a word of advice for pet owners um understand that you're living in a human society just because you love dog doesn't mean somebody else has to love a dog just because you're not scared of dog doesn't mean others cannot be scared of dog mm-hmm. so don't push your luck or 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 i would say don't not adjust for people who may not like dogs right so if there's some basic rules they want to put in do it clean up after your dogs uh if you have a slightly exuberant dog you know your dog doesn't bite but don't have him off leash running around mm-hmm. it can knock off a person remember that in india the laws are very lenient uh, if you have a dog in the uk or the us who while walking a lovely friendly retriever who while walking meet somebody gets excited jumps on that person that person falls and hits their head they take you to court and if they prove you that you are irresponsible owner either your dog will take get taken away from you or they'll get put down oh my god so rules are very strict anywhere else a biting dog abroad gets put down no question asked okay it has to just bite once uh, if a, if they bite a child just once it's put down so in india we have very lean and we have a lot of room to do a lot of things but be responsible very valid
and what about feeding stray dogs? A lot of associations <coughs> tend to discourage you from yeah, feeding, feeding stray dogs stray because dogs. They, they look at it as encouraging them to come. Yeah, uh, again a problem of understanding. So stray dogs, when they are in a particular area, they protect that area and they prevent new stray dogs from coming in that area. Okay, So it kind of is a stabilizing factor. If you have five stray dogs in a particular community area, they will make sure that they remains five. They don't allow other dogs to come in. Those are very territorial. A, a, a happy, well-fed stray dog is going to be much better than a hungry stray dog that's looking for food and will think, okay, do you have something? Will ask, beg everything and also will dirty your dustbins and things like that. Uh, as for feeding stray dogs, uh, the um, AWBI has given the guideline that it's a constitutional right of a human to feed stray dogs. Mm -hmm. So you cannot be stopped. What they have advised, especially in society kind of set setup, is to fix a place for feeding the stray dogs based on their territorialness. Mm -hmm. So if you have two territorial group of dogs, you cannot force them to be fed in the same spot. They will be fed, uh, fed separately. You are, made, you are advised to feed in that area, you are advised to clean up that area. Mm -hmm. And as part of your social responsibility, you are advised to neuter and spay your strays so that the numbers don't increase. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very well-written set of guidelines. It's very difficult to enforce it with societies because they, get, they, they think that if I allow five dogs to be kept in my society, people will bring another ten dogs things like that. A lot of misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. uh, um, so what we advise is, mm, is to have like a simple policy maybe, which kind of identifies the dogs. You can color them up, you can tag them, you can have photographs. Uh, if there's a problem dog, then you refer a behaviorist again for them as well. Feed them in a particular area, uh, vaccinate them every year, spay them. And as they grow older, the number reduces and there comes a point then the, that stops. And then you don't let new dogs, that's a separate thing. Any finishing closing words that you want to share? I would say, and what I, I think this would be something interesting is that uh, what I've noticed is that during this lockdown, because people have been locked up by themselves and emotionally they have been in a vulnerable state, a lot of people have gone out and gotten dogs, um, which is great. They make good companions and everything. But I would say that two, three things. Uh, one is when you want to bring a dog into your life, the kind of breed matters. So please research on the breed and find out what they were meant, mm -hmm. meant for. Then you see if that suits your lifestyle, right? Uh, having a puppy is the same as having a new child, okay? Mm -hmm. So figure out if you have the time to train mm -hmm. your puppy. All dog needs training. Whether you get a trainer or whether you look online and do training, doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. you, all of them need training. So do you have the time to then train a puppy? If I don't have the time to train a puppy but I still want a dog, more towards can we get a slightly older dog that that's that that is a very valid way to look at it like if you really want to have a dog uh, and you don't have the time to put in the initial training what a puppy requires get an adult dog adult dogs are slightly set in their manners um, you can choose an adult dog that fits your lifestyle energy wise fits your energy temper temperament wise fits your temperament um, then you are getting exactly what you see right there's no guesswork to it um, yeah, you can. An adult dog means that you're looking to adopt. Okay. Um, and adoption doesn't mean you're picking up an Indian dog. Adoption means you can um, uh, you can find any dog, any breed under the yeah, sun. Yeah. Uh, you can find at a rescue center. Also remember that when you adopt a dog, roughly you're looking at six months. Give it six months to settle. Um, don't be impatient. Even with puppies, be patient. Yeah. Um, and as I said, for puppies, make sure you do that initial socialization because that is required. Mm. Um, without socialization, you will not have a well-rounded dog.
remember that at the end of the day a dog that is well trained is a dog with the most freedom you can then take it out you can make them meet friends you can make them meet children you don't have to worry training starts the day your puppy comes home whether that means you're getting a trainer or not is different but you are training from the day one and um there's this common misconception where the vet tells you that don't take your dog out when it's puppy until the vaccinations are not over what the vets mean is don't put your dog on the ground so that it can lick something and fall sick but do take your dog out in your in your hand or in a bag or whatever you have to socialize your dog because the socialization window shuts at 5 months mm-hmm. um so make sure you do that um and the best piece of advice is before you get a dog home and you've made up your mind and everybody agrees in the family speak to your behaviorist they will run you through what is required what is not required so from day 1 you're prepared there are no surprises because a lot of times by the time the trainer is called we are called after a problem has happened mm. uh and there are very simple things like people have who have taken advice on day 1 about let's say pee and potty training their puppies within a week have a dog that is already trained uh whereas people who come in after 3 months oh my god we've been trying for 3 months it's not been working by the time i come in it's going to take that much more time to fix it right um unlearning is involved yeah unlearning is involved and the same goes for aggression um don't call us when the fifth person gets bitten call us when the dog is beginning to snap or growl season in 2022 Thank you so much listeners for your patronage and support. We would really like to hear your thoughts and feedback on our shows. Please connect with us on Instagram at the Sema podcast. More details on how to connect with Lena are in the show notes. Thank you and bye from Ram and Bharat.